Good morning, everyone. Well, it's morning here for me as I record today's Bible Project Daily Podcast. You're most very welcome, whether you're here for the very first time or you've been here from the very beginning. If you are here for the very first time, then why not just click on that subscribe button and join this community of thousands of people around the world who've made a decision to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of their daily lives. We've been running for over two years now and what I believe will be around about a seven to ten year plan. But please be mindful that you're welcome to follow along at whatever pace suits you. And you can do that by just clicking on the subscribe button wherever you're getting your podcasts from. And you can go right back to the very beginning, season one. Or today we're approaching the back end of our time together in Matthew, which is season three. And if you are here for the first time, well, welcome. But please do hang around at the end when I'll give you some more information of how you can connect to this ministry and receive lots of free Bible teaching resources. Always free, always freely available. Bye for now. Okay, today we're going to be covering just a few short verses in Matthew, chapter 21, verses 18 to 22, and we're going to be thinking about the power of prayer. But let me ask first by just asking you a very simple question. Have you ever prayed and you didn't get an answer? Some people say to me they feel that maybe they pray and don't get an answer more than they pray and do get one. And some people pray and they say that their experience is they don't feel they get an answer so much and so often that they actually begin to sometimes doubt the benefit of prayer. Well, once in the ministry of Jesus, he spoke to this very issue, but he did it in a very unusual and dramatic way because he wanted to communicate to the disciples about the power of prayer. And he did it in the most strange and amazing way, and what some would say a rather confusing way, because he chose to illustrate it by using the cursing of a fig tree. Now, this passage has given people problems since probably the day it was written. One commentator I read when preparing for this said that this is the most uncomfortable and difficult passage in the New Testament. Another I read actually said he was embarrassed by this account of the curse of the fig tree and he felt that it was petty and vindictive. Now I think that position is quite ridiculous, but I do think it's fair to ask what is the point of this passage because it clearly causes some people problems. Well, I believe that this passage is clearly meant to teach us something and what it is actually looking at is it's trying to teach us, Jesus was trying to teach his disciples, and thereby it is able to teach us something about the power of prayer. So with that in mind, turn with me to Matthew chapter 21, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 18. And in my Bible, the title of this passage, interestingly, is the lesson of the withered fig tree. And what I'm suggesting is the lesson is one about prayer. So the text says, Now in the morning... As he returned to the city, he was hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves. And he said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. And immediately the fig tree withered away. Now when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither away so soon? 
So Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Okay, I believe this passage really comes down to one simple thing. I sometimes think passages in the Bible communicate many truths, and some passages communicate one truth, but maybe that truth will have many facets. But I think this passage is meant to communicate just one simple, clear, and powerful truth. So with that in mind, what I'd like to do is go through these verses and explain them as best I can, and show you what I believe the one main truth is being disclosed here. And then, importantly, I want to try and enable us to understand it and know how we might apply it in our lives, in fact, in several areas of our lives. So with that in mind, let's look again and do what we always do and go through the passage verse by verse, remembering that we're opening in verse 18. Now, just before we approach the first verse again, I'd like to remind you that Jesus had just the previous day been in the city of Jerusalem, where he'd made his triumphal entry. And apparently, by putting Mark and Matthew together, you can strongly imply that these events happened on Monday. And that means that this passage before us is happening the next morning on Tuesday. At any rate, it begins with him saying this in verse 18. Now in the morning, as he returned to the city, he, that's of course Jesus, was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves. And he said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. And immediately the fig tree withered away. Now one little thing I need to explain to you and you need to notice is it said the leaves had no fruit. Now our response today to that piece of information might reasonably be uh, an assumption that maybe it just wasn't the season and the time for it to produce fruit. It had leaves and it was alive and that the fruit would come later. But that's not what actually happens here. Bible experts tell us that in Palestine at that time, the type of figs that grew at that time were grown on a tree would actually produce buds of fruit before it produced leaves so that the fact that the tree had leaves but hadn't any fruit indicates that this was a barren tree. The buds had burst into leaf but with no fruit. It was fruitless and it wasn't going to produce anything at any time in the future. So Jesus curses the fig tree in the sense that he has an action and this is the part that makes people uncomfortable and he says that the fig tree will never produce fruit again. And some people are uncomfortable with this and say, well, why does he take it out in a fig tree? And the, the text shows us that it immediately withers up and dies. So we need to pause right there for a minute because that can be confusing and ask what's going on here. What does that mean? Well, let me tell you, when Bible teachers come to explaining this passage, there are a very wide range of opinions out there. Some say he cursed the fig tree so that it was a means of representing judgment. And there are those who come to this passage and they try to figure out not just the, the principle of judgment, but they say this curse was a curse on someone or something. So they try and figure out who does the fig tree represent. And those who go down that route, they tend to come up with one of two basic answers as who's involved here. One group say that it represents Israel and that he is symbolically saying that Israel has not produced fruit, so he's putting a curse on them. 
But I would add into the mix of that and say, but that's maybe not true because God never permanently cursed Israel. And the Bible tells us that Israel will produce fruit again. It's very clear that God still has his program for Israel. The book of Romans chapter 11 and in many other places make that clear. Another point of view is that Jesus was talking about putting a curse on Jerusalem on that generation, that particular generation of Jews. My response to all of that is that there's not the slightest hint in this passage that says that because he cursed the fig tree and he judged it, so to speak, that that's the point that's being made. Now, of course, there is a truth, and there's a truth in the fact that God does judge unfruitful people, and he does judge unfruitful groups of people. But I don't believe that's the point being made here. Well, reasonably, you could ask, how have I reached that conclusion? Well, I do it by just reading on, and because he gives his explanation to the disciples. And it tells us, and when the disciples saw it, they marveled again. How did the fig tree wither away so? So Jesus answered and said to them, Surely I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but you will say to this mountain, be moved and cast into the sea and it will be done. So the whole passage, when read in context, clearly has nothing to do with judgment. That isn't the point Jesus is making at all. The point he's wanting to teach them, and thereby what we also should learn out of it, is about the power of prayer and the power of faith. He elaborates by telling them, and saying in a sense, well let me tell you something about the power of prayer. So he gives these examples and he says, whatever things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. So this passage is clearly about the power of prayer. And he's saying, I've done this thing, this thing as a symbolic act to demonstrate the power of prayer. And and he takes the step of demonstrating it by using the cursing of the frig tea as an illustration. But then he goes on to go deeper and to expand their horizons further, if you like, by saying, look, see that mountain. And remember now, they're entering Jerusalem. They're heading up the road from Bethany. So they're now likely to be at a point where they can look up and see the city and the Mount of Olives. And he says, look, if you have enough faith, you can move a mountain. You can move a mountain and have it cast into the sea. And the sea was probably the Mediterranean Sea, which they could have seen from up there a few miles away. So he's saying, if you believe, then the power of prayer means you can not only do symbolically curse a fig tree, but you can do much bigger things than this. Now, I believe that the moving of a mountain is a proverbial expression. It's used to illustrate something very simply that is impossible in human terms. So Jesus first focuses on the fig tree, and in a sense, this is parabolic teaching. This is a picture, if you like, of showing the power of prayer prayer that is powerful enough to do something that is exceedingly difficult in life like the cursing of a fig tree but also to do the seemingly impossible like the moving of a mountain and tossing it into the sea. So the question that asks is what do we have to do to get in on that power? It sounds too good to be true. Well thankfully friends he continues and he teaches and he tells us but maybe perhaps It's not what we think, and maybe perhaps sadly it is not what a lot of people in the Christian church are taught these days. He tells them that if they have faith and do not doubt, so we're not talking about a prayer by anybody 
in any situation, first of all, we've got to say we're talking about a believer's prayer, a Christian believer's prayer, and a prayer that is underscored in faith. And he does that by adding the little addition that you should have faith and do not doubt, and that it will be done. So the key phrase is have faith without doubt, which means that you're unwavering in your faith. The sense of an unwavering trust is the very nature of the Greek word used here, translated as doubt. In other words, that you should have faith and not be double-minded, or not hesitate for a moment. Unwavering is a really good word, as I think it captures what Matthew is trying to say here. Jesus is talking about a faith that does not waver, because it's going to trust in God. And he concludes by saying, and whatever things you ask in prayer and believing, you will receive. Now that appears to be a pretty dogmatic statement and one that has certainly been open to abuse, particularly in the recent history of the church. But it seems to me that what Jesus is actually saying in this passage is that believing prayer that has an unwavering trust within it will accomplish amazing things, amazingly difficult things, and things that you perhaps thought were impossible, to the point where they will amaze you. Now, of course, out there, there are people who don't believe in prayer at all. Some critics will say it just appear that you get answers, but those are just coincidence. Well, all I can say, if that's true, I'm amazed at how often those coincidences have happened to me. I said there's one simple single point being made in this passage, and that is that believing prayer can accomplish difficult things, seemingly impossible things, things that will astound you and amaze you. Now that's the point, and I know it sounds simple enough, but what I want to do is take that little statement and break it down a little to see how it points into our lives and what areas of our lives we should apply it, and in the proper way. The first thing that strikes me about this passage is that it deals with prayer at all. If you've been following me as we go through the Gospel of Matthew, you'll know that in the passage Prior to this one, Jesus had just the previous day walked into the temple and drove out the money changers and then he had said to them, my father's house should be a house of prayer. So I want us to put the last week of Christ in order as we go through these remaining chapters. So keep that in mind, that's what I'm going to do over the next few days. So bear in mind that that happened on Sunday The arrival and the cleansing of the temple happened on the Sunday and Jesus preaches this sermon, if you like, where he talks about his father's house being a house of prayer. But now then on the Monday morning, he's outside the, on the outskirts of town, he gets up, he's hungry and he goes to the fig tree. There's no fruit on it and he accurses it. Now by Tuesday, the disciples are passing by on the turn trip and they're amazed that they notice for the first time that it's withered and it's withered so immediately, quickly. So then Jesus turns to them and says, let me use that of an illustration of what I want to talk to you about, which is prayer. So I just want you to see the flow of the message. Earlier he talked about the fact that his father's house should be a house of prayer. And now he comes back and he gives to them and to us a dramatic demonstration of what he means by that. In verse 21 of today's passage, he said, you must believe and do not doubt. You must have faith. But then in verse 22, he added that you can ask for prayer and uh, believing and they will come to pass. So there's a key here to get the answer of what he actually means when he's talking about the prayer of a believing person comes to pass. 
Jesus is talking about prayers being answers, but it has to be a believing prayer and a faithful prayer. That's the rub of this, so to speak. This is the key to getting an answer to prayer. So we need to talk about this for a minute and figure out together exactly what it means. And I think we have to do this because there are, I think there are people who read this and who've read this passage and there are even preachers and pastors who read this and they conclude that you can pretty much ask God for anything you want and he'll give it to you. But that is not what it is saying at all. Nor is that what the Bible teaches anywhere. As a matter of fact, that's about as far away from what the Bible really teaches about answering prayer. Let me try and illustrate what I'm saying. For example, if you were going to believe something about me as a person, as an individual, what has to happen first is we need to have a relationship and I have to sort of speak to you to say something. If you're going to decide that you're going to trust me to offer you or give you something valuable, then you have to have that relationship first. Otherwise, you might be just putting words in your mouth or words of your own imagination. And I might say, well, I've never promised or said I would give you such a gift. Do you get what I'm saying? So you say, you need to know me. You would need to know my character and know what I've said and know what I had promised you. And then you can believe in the knowledge of the sort of things that I might give you in respond to our relationship. So before you can truly believe in someone, before you can have faith in someone, that faith must be embedded in a relationship based on the knowledge of the character, the person who has it within their power to gift you or bless you. Now God has made a promise, so now with that knowledge and that personal relationship, you are then and only then able to come to the Lord and say, what you said in your word, what you've said in your actions, I'm going to believe and I'm going to ask you to do what you promised you would do. That is why the Bible says that we're to pray according to his will. So in order to practice the type of believing prayer that it's talking about here, you first and foremost need to know the Bible. You need to know scripture. You've got to be able to hear and understand what God has promised to give you. And then you've got to pray along those lines. And those are the prayers, friends, that he promises to answer. And these answers to prayers are the very things that will bless you and even amaze you. And you will think that was impossible without God. Some people, it seems to me, seem to approach prayer like it's a bit like having a personal slot machine. You pop in a coin and you pull a lever and you get out what you're hoping for. But that's not what prayer is about. That's not what prayer is about when it's taught in the Bible. That is not how Jesus is describing prayer here. Prayer is not about getting my will confirmed by God in heaven. It's about God getting his will on earth done through you. Think about the prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It seems to me we often get it backwards. But the good news, if we've got God's word on it and we know his word, then we are able to pray according to his will and we can believe in that what he has already promised, in that which he has already said. And in doing that, we'll be able to also recognize when he answers it and does it. And that way, we're able to see and experience those amazing things happening in our life. 
So next time you pray, think what promises has he made that you can grab hold of, so to speak, and say, I'm going to ask you, Lord, for what you've already promised. Let me give you a starting point. How's about this one for a first bang on, a bullseye of a prayer? 1 John 19 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This, my friends, should be your starting point. Embrace the promise, receive the answer to prayer. That means if you're a Christian and you confessed you've sinned and you come before the Lord and say, yes, I've sinned, then he has promised to forgive you. How's that for a believing prayer? But you know what? There's a second part to this prayer of forgiveness, second part that he can offer. It says, if we go back to how Jesus taught us to pray, he said, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive the trespasses of others. So it's never just about being forgiven. It's also about being enabled to forgive other people also. Maybe you have trouble forgiving somebody. Have you have trouble forgiving someone today? Well, I think the direct application of what Jesus is talking about here and in the Lord's Prayer deals with this. The power of prayer is such that you can trust God to forgive you, but also to enable you to forgive other people. And that's one really, really important application of this teaching. But I believe there's a second application. Let me ask you another question. Do you ever have problem controlling your tongue? Listen to what the text says in James chapter 3 verse 7. Every kind of beast and bird of, or reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is unruly, evil, full of deadly poison. James also then goes on to say, if you can control your tongue, you'd be a perfect man. But then comes back and reminds us that no one can do that completely. So what's the point here? Well, it is, if you're having trouble controlling your tongue, then this passage is what you need to hear because the Lord's Prayer tells us we can call upon the Lord to help us before we sin, to help us, in this example, control our tongues. But also, it means we can control anything in our life that we should not be doing. The prayer that can be answered is the call on the power of God to enable us to have victory in life over those things we shouldn't be doing. That's the power of prayer. It's so powerful that Jesus says, yes, you can kill a tree, you can throw a mountain into the sea, which represents stuff. It even means you can do things that can control that little weapon you have between your teeth called the tongue, which we're told that no one can do in and of themselves. And you can do these things yet all through the power of prayer. That's what prayer can do. So let me ask you a final question. What's the classic prayer that Jesus used as the model framework for us when we pray? The pattern of the prayer that Jesus himself gave us, gave his disciples. Well, listen to it again. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And what? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. But what's next? and lead us not into temptation. You want to hear about the power of prayer? You want to know about the power of prayer? Then know that prayer can move a mountain. Prayer can take you over the mountain of resentment and allow you to express forgiveness to other people, just as you've been forgiven. But also, prayer has the power to help you stop sinning 
before you do it. And the example, the high point is given as the ability to control our tongues by genes, which is a picture as a wider application. It means that prayer can stop you being led into all types of temptation. Maybe the reason we don't control our tongues, maybe the reason we do all these damaging things in our life, is maybe we don't go to the Lord in prayer before we do them. What maybe we need to do is pray before these things happen so the Lord does not allow us to step towards those things that tempt us. It does not allow us to be led into temptation that way. We can pray for the Lord a powerful prayer which the promises he will answer in enabling us to control ourselves. Isn't that better than asking for forgiveness after you've done that thing you shouldn't have done already? Now, when we talk about moving a mountain, people often think about things like someone getting healed of some terminal disease. And I don't doubt that God sometimes works that way. But I think the daily things that Jesus was trying to teach us is that some of those most difficult things that we struggle with daily are the mountains in our personal lives. And it is those very things that he can remove. Remember, God promised that he would forgive. Claim that promise. And God promised that he would give us the grace to do things like control our tongue and also have victory over damaging behaviours or addictions in our life. And that, my friends, is the extraordinary thing that prayer can do. Things that will amaze us. Things that mean we will stand in astonishment of what God has done in our lives simply because we had a faith that believed. Have you ever heard the statement, prayer changes things? I'm sure you have. I've seen it on posters. I've seen it adorned on walls and Sunday schools and churches. I've even heard it, I'm sure, as you have from the pulpit many times. But the nub of the thing is, do you really believe it? Do you really honestly believe that prayer changes things? Have you ever had prayer change anything for you? It's not always about the big stuff. The miraculous stuff, yes it is sometimes, but it's also, and a thing we need to understand and claim, it is most importantly, it is about the everyday stuff in life that we need to have victory over. Has prayer ever changed your attitude, your circumstances, removed an obstacle, enabled you to believe? More importantly, do you understand that if you have accepted Christ as your personal saviour, then God has moved a mountain of separation in your life to enable you to stand before him. And these, my friend, are the kind of mountains God promises to move, if we will just let him. Please, friends, remember and always remain thankful that when we pray, we can pray that God can remove the mountains in our life. And by believing in the power of the prayer of faith, you are given the opportunity and the privilege to see God do it and to see those amazing things happen in your life. And for that, we can all be truly thankful. Okay, people, that's it for today. I do hope you find that a helpful and encouraging passage. Please remember that you've been listening to the Bible Project Daily Podcast, and my name's Jeremy McCandless. Now, the podcast is posted on thebibleproject.buzzsprout.com, but it's available wherever you get your podcasts from. 
Now, there should be active links to both the transcript in each and every podcast episode for you to access and use in whatever way you want, but also there should be links to other ways that you can connect and if you wish to support this ministry. Places like LinkedIn page where I tend to put more formal structured discipleship courses and my Patreon account, which is the place where all the free PDF versions of my previous books are going to appear and also even places like my Facebook page and other places. Important thing to say, the Patreon account and the Buzzsprout account, there are places within that where you can support this ministry if you feel God's calling you to do that, but you don't by any means have to do that. It's really appreciated for those of you who do that, but you're able to always, everyone is able to access all my teaching resources in whatever format, free of charge, no cost, and freely available in the public domain. And I trust that you'll take them and use them and use them to encourage yourself and for others. So with that said, thank you so much for joining me. It's such a privilege and a pleasure for us to do this together, for us as friends to work together through the amazing Word of God. And you know what? I know there have been lives transformed by people who have made the decision to do that. So I'll just close by saying thank you again and I'll see you right back here tomorrow. Well, it'll be tomorrow for me. It will be whatever day it happens to be for you. But I do hope I'll see you again soon on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.